Um, guys, so fun to be with you in real life. The last couple times that I got the privilege to teach, it was on video. So it's really cool to be here, to be outside, to be together. Um, I, yeah, like Jake said, I prepped this message actually out of something that I've been learning a lot. I'll give you a little bit of the backstory of where it's coming from. So a few weeks ago, I was actually here at our outdoor gathering, and I was talking to Sarah. I don't know if she's here tonight, but she does our social media. She does the graphics on it. She's so good. They're, they're awesome, right? I know. She kills it. But she, if you haven't met her, meet her. She's great. I don't think she's here tonight. Next week. But I was talking to her, and she asked me the question we all ask when we see each other, right? Like, hey, how are you doing? And I, my response that day was something along the lines of, oh, it's been like, it's just been like a whirlwind week. I don't even remember what happened, but hey, I made it. I'm here. And I didn't really think a lot about my response. I was like, yeah, it's super, it's pretty normal. I've heard a lot of responses like that. We're in the middle of like a COVID pandemic, a lot of unrest, a lot of crazy things. And I've heard responses to that question, the same thing of like, oh, I'm fine, but like 2021, can you be here? Because I'm so over this year. Or you know, I'm okay, I'm just riding out the storm, or, oh, I'm doing fine, I'm surviving. And I'm not throwing shade at any of those responses. I obviously use the same ones myself. And we all know that this has been a really hard year. It's a time where our days, maybe they do, they just like mesh together and we're not sure what's going on because everything just feels hard. This year has been a knockout. I, um, one of the teachers that I follow, his name's John Tyson, he's in New York, and he's been posting just these memes about 2020. I think it's really funny. But he posted this one, and it's this guy, and he's, uh, the caption just is like, this is 2020. And it's a guy, and he's up on a ledge, and he's like getting ready to do a backflip into the water. And he's staying on the ground and getting ready, getting ready, and he goes to launch, and the ground just like gives out, and he face plants, and it's horrible. And you're like, oh, that really sucks. And it's like, but that kind of is this year that we like, at least for me, I was like, 2020, that's such a good number. It's gonna be the best year ever. And you just gear up and you get ready and you make your New Year's resolutions and then a pandemic happens. And we have all of the things that have happened, not just like because of COVID, but that are happening in our nation and in our families and with our finances. And it's like, this year has hit me in the face. And so I think that those kind of responses, they do have some validity. And I think there's a space even to have anger as an appropriate response to some of the things that have happened in our world as of late. But as I was going over my own response with the Lord, I, I just sat down with him and I was like, Jesus, when did my life get to the point where I tell someone how my week was and I, it's like, oh, I made it. I survived it. I got here. And that that feels like success. And as I opened up my Bible and I sat with him, his response was super tender, but it cut me. What I felt like I heard the Lord say to me was, you've forgotten who I am and you're just surviving. And I was like, oh, that's not. Like, I'm like, I, how can I forget who you are? I work at a church. How do I forget what you are? I read my Bible, not maybe every day, most days. I read my Bible, but I knew that he was right. And for me, it was like just instant tears. This is what happened. I don't cry a ton, but I cry in front of my husband a lot, and I cry in front of the Lord a lot, my other husband. So I'm just tears all the time when I'm talking to Jesus. And he's, he's cool with it, so it's fine. But it was that place I went straight to like repentance of like, oh, Lord, that sucks. I don't want to be there. I'm so sorry. But God in his tenderness and his goodness and how sweet that he is, he just brought me to a passage in the scriptures that just was talking about who he is. He took my eyes off of who I was, off of my failure and onto him. 
And in receiving truth about who God was, I got to see truth about who I was. And it was refreshment for me. And at this point, you guys might be like, okay, share time with Bria. We done now? Yeah, we're almost done with my time. But the reason I share that story is because I think that that story goes beyond being for me. That it's for us as a Saints Hill family. That God wants to break that stronghold of survival in any of us that have it. That he wants to move us from a place of, okay, I'm surviving, I'm making it, I'm making it to people who live with a revival mentality. We're not living with survival mentality. We're not living trying to make it, but we're living as the people we were made to be. And we're after revival. We're after what he's doing. You see, sometimes when we get tired, we get deceived into thinking that, oh, we're going to find rest in either figuring out a solution on our own, figuring out how to make our lives feel easier, or by zoning out and just being like, I'm going to wait until it gets better. I'm just going to kind of tune out. I'm going to go with it. I'm going to make it until we get to a better time. But what that is, is it's survival thinking. And it's not for people of God. We were made back in Genesis 1, God told us, you were made to rule and reign. And he bought us so that we could come and we could rule and reign again. So when things are ugly and we just grit our teeth and we wait for the other side, that's actually disobedience for a Christian. We're to walk with the mind of Christ, to look at hopeless things and say, okay, how does God want to bring hope? To look at things that are so ugly and say, no, but I know that God wants to work this for good, that he wants to partner with me in renewal. So how do we do it? What does it look like? There's a book that probably some of you know that C.S. Lewis wrote, and it's called The Screw Tape Letters. I brought it up before. It's kind of, it's kind of a weird book, but I really love it. It's about this lower demon named Wormwood, and he's reporting to this higher demon named Screwtape, and it's about them trying to deceive this new Christian. Only C.S. Lewis, right? It's such a funny premise. But they're trying to deceive this Christian into not even like, oh, stop following Jesus, but distracting him from actually having the power that he could have as a follower of God. One of the quotes in this book, it says, there's nothing like suspense and anxiety for barricading a human's mind against the enemy. They're talking about God. He wants men to be concerned with what they do. Our, talking about the demons, business is to keep them thinking about what will happen to them. So, oh, if we can keep people thinking about what will happen to them, they'll miss out on, oh, what is God doing right now? And as I was thinking about this book and just the way that the enemy deceives, I was thinking about survival mentality. And I feel like another quote that could be in this book, another way used to distract us from God is to use that survival mentality. That you might hear Screwtape say, oh, when they feel like they're drowning, just keep them so focused on keeping their head above water that they won't realize they were made to rule. They won't realize that they were made for so much more than just like staying up, staying alive. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't moments in life where it's like, this is so much. I can barely make it. I can barely breathe. God is in those times. He's in those times of intense grief. And I'm not saying like, hey, you're not allowed to grieve. You're not allowed to be distraught. You're not allowed to feel defeated. You are, and God is there. But we cannot stay there. We can't turn survival and grief of a moment into a mentality and a way of life. Those are two very different things. So because although we might look at this year and we think, Okay, this year's over. Like, bring on the next one. We serve a God who has redemptive plans for this year, for 2020. That this year is not over, and we don't get to sit sidelined. We don't get to give up on it because God has not, and he has redemptive plans. When we forget who God is, 
when we forget who we were made to be and begin to live in survival mentality, we're missing out on the kingdom impact and rule we were supposed to carry. My husband, Tyler, we were going over this teaching. He goes over all of my teachings with me. Thank you, Tyler. And he had such good insight into this as we were talking. I'm going to read it because it's a quote that I wrote down from something he texted me. He said that when we're in survival mode, we're looking inward. What is best for me? What will keep me safe? Where am I going? Will I be successful? We have tunnel vision of I just need to make it there. And in that, we miss what God is doing around us and the people around us that he's sending us to. But when we are in revival mode, I love that, we are outward focused, looking at God as our source of truth and letting his vision be our vision. We're asking what he's up to. We're building the kingdom, and it isn't based on circumstances around us, but on who he is. I thought that was such great wisdom to give that perspective of from, okay, when I'm living in survival, I just have tunnel vision. If I just need to get there, I need to make it. I need to make sure I get to this thing, whether it's a goal or just to make it through the month, whatever it is. But when we're walking with Jesus, when our minds are set on revival, we're looking, we're waiting, we're saying, God, where are you going? You hear us say it here at St. Hill all the time. Alex uses that um, analogy of the dove on the shoulder. Where are you going? I'm stepping there. Where are you going? I'm stepping there. And when you have that mentality, you're able to see so far beyond yourself and able to kind of ditch that survival thinking and move into revival thinking. I think that um, even as we're talking about what we, what we think, how that thinking is maintained. I even think of when we um, talk about our mentality, I think worldview. You guys, check out Jacob's message from last week talking about our worldviews and a biblical worldview. If you haven't heard it, it was so fire, so helpful. I've gone back to it. But I think basically when we're talking about how we're shaped, and you've heard us say this here at St. Till too, but what we think about God shapes who we are. That what we believe about God is the most important thing about us. Because when you forget who God is, it's survival mode. And when you remember who God is and you believe who he is, it's revival mode. And as people of God, each day it should hold bigger dreams, greater vision, and more than just surviving. But to walk out our days set on revival, it's not just like, okay, I'm going to set my mind to be there. No, we have to first see God rightly. We have to first see who he is. We have to first believe who he is and then let him take us from there. It's all going to flow from what we believe about God, because that'll determine what we believe about ourselves, what we believe about the world, what we believe about what life should hold. So that's where we're going to go, is we're going to go to the Word of God. I want you guys to turn your Bibles to Psalms 113. If you don't have your Bible with you, it is also in your bulletin. So handy. But hopefully you have your Bible. And once you're there, we're going to read through this whole psalm together. Starting in verse 1. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, you his servants. Praise the name of the Lord. Let the name of the Lord be praised, both now and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to the place where it sets, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is exalted over all the nations, his glory above the heavens, Who is like the Lord our God, the one who sits enthroned on high, who stoops down to look on the heavens and the earth? He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes, with the princes of his people. He sets the childless woman in her home as a happy mother of children. Praise the Lord. So 
This psalm is a really short and kind of a simple passage, but I think the power in it is that it's saying, this is who God is. And it's followed by, okay, this is why we praise him, because of all these things that he is. Now, as we walk through this passage together, I'm gonna kind of just ask some questions that the text is bringing up to us. It's questions for us to chew on that might be revealing, might be a little painful, might be exciting. But these, these passages are inviting us to see him rightly. What scripture does is it tells us about who God is and it invites us to agree and say, yes, I see him rightly. So each question that I'm gonna pose as we move through this invites us to take him at his word. Are you guys ready? Okay, ready. So verse four and five is the first one we're gonna start with. It says, the Lord is exalted over all the nations, his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, the one who sits enthroned on high? The question I have that I think that text presents is, do you believe the God you serve sees it all and is above it all? Do you believe the God you serve sees it all and is above it all? Why do we sometimes take things into our own hands if we truly believe that God is over every nation, that he's over every person? Why would we imagine that we could come up with better solutions than what he has given if he is above it all and he sees it all? That thinking happens when we take our eyes off who God is. When like I did, when you forget who he is and so you start to try and dream up a world that's good enough, but he's already told us our purpose. He's already told us what it looks like for humans to flourish. So do you believe him that he sees it all and he's above it all? When you're in a place trying to survive and trying to solve and you aren't expecting him to show up in power, that's when you get to this survival mode instead of believing who God is and getting to see him move in that place. God invites us to believe that he's not only that powerful, but that he's that good. In Romans 8, 28, it says, he's working all things for good for those that love him. When we don't just understand this about God, but we truly believe it. We truly believe, okay, God, you see everything that's happening and you, you have a plan, you're working something for good then we wouldn't even wanna think about taking things in our own hands. We wouldn't even wanna think about trusting a different way because how foolish would that be? Because it's only God who has a way that's true and that leads to true goodness. Do you believe the God you serve sees it all and is above it all? Verse six says, who stoops down to look on the heavens and the earth. Do you believe that God's perspective is true and that it's better than yours? A heavenly perspective will not see problems as the world sees them. A heavenly perspective will not see a pandemic as a reason to kick into survival mode to make it through. A heavenly perspective sees chaos and says, God, I want you to break through. A heavenly perspective, one with the mind of Christ, has his solutions to the world problems. Alex gave a great message on that during um, our time doing video. Look that one up as well. But a heavenly perspective is one where we can see that all hope is lost. We can hear the world say, like, there's no hope, nothing we can do. And a heavenly perspective, God's perspective, says, oh, there's hope to be found. There's revival in the air because God's perspective is better and it speaks a better truth. Isaiah 57, 15 says, I live in a high and holy place, but also with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit. I love that, because it's that perspective. God has that heaven perspective, but he also has perspective of your heart, of those closest parts, those nearest parts, those deepest parts. So it's like, whether it's that you wanna know perspective about a person, or you wanna know perspective about a world, or you wanna know perspective about the furthest or the closest things, God has the best perspective on it all. Do you believe that God's perspective is true and better than yours? 
verse 7 through 8, says, He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He sits them with princes, with the princes of his people. Do you believe that God knows best how to care for and empower people? It's God who's been fighting on behalf of the poor, on behalf of the societal outcast, on behalf of the needy, since sin ravaged his good and perfect design, his design for a flourishing humanity. And what he does with those people, it says he sits them with princes. God knows how to elevate people. God knows how to empower people. God has been doing it since the beginning of time, telling us, hey, you were made to rule and reign. Hey, I can tell you how to treat that person. I can tell you how to empower them the best. He's not new to what it looks like to care for people. And you will never care for people better by looking outside of him. You will never learn how to empower people more by going outside of his word. You will never figure out what it looks like to help humanity by going outside of his idea for flourishing. He is the designer of human flourishing, and he cares so much more about the hurt in the world than we feel like we do. We just want God, we want you to give us your heart. And it's his way that will lead to empowering people. It's nothing less. Is it raining? Whoa. Okay, cool. Moving. Um, and it's his way that's going to empower people, nothing less. So in 1 Samuel 2, 8, he takes this even a step further. And he says he has them inherit a throne of honor. Do you want to know how to honor someone? Go to the scriptures. Ask the Lord. He will tell you how to honor people. His revelation will tell us about the way to live, how we should treat each other, what brings freedom, what is going to break the things that are evil in our world. It is him that will tell us. Do you believe that God knows best how to care for and empower people? Okay, it's not horrible. If Guys, somebody raise your hand if this is getting too uh, soaked out there. I have a tent. It's a little different. Um, verse 9 says, he settles the childless woman in her home as a happy mother of children. Do you believe that God does the impossible? This is one of the core values of our church is that the, the impossible happens. Anything is possible and healing is for today. Do you believe it? I feel like this is one of the most revealing ones for me, the quickest one, the way that I can tell, do I believe that God does the impossibles and how I react to situations? When I see something that seems impossible, when I see sickness, when I see uh, my family member who doesn't want anything to do with Jesus, when I see my workplace that's falling apart and I think, well, gotta just play the cards I was dealt, that's a survival mentality, not a kingdom mentality. Because the kingdom would say, okay, God, I see something impossible, how do you want to break into it? I feel like Tyler, props to my husband again, teaches me this all the time. I'll have like a headache, an earache, something wrong with me. And I'm always like, ugh, something hurts and I'm in pain. But I don't like, I don't even think. Like, oh, let's pray for it every time. He goes, let's, let's pray for it. Let's get healing for it. That's what a mentality that believes that God does the impossible does. It asks. So are you asking? Because if you are, you believe it. And if you aren't, you need to believe it. Because we need to be a people that asks. I'm going to move through this a little quicker. So this psalm, I think it's just that example. As we engage with the scriptures, it's going to tell us things about God that brings up these questions in our heart of, God, do I believe you for who you say you are? And this psalm is such a small piece, but it's still packed with telling us about who God is. I feel like even if we truly believe just that little piece of scripture, there's no way we could sit in a place where we're just surviving. Because you'd be like, oh, I believe all these things that God is. And because I believe him, it shapes who I am and the way that I engage with the world. You will dream bigger dreams. You will ask for more. You will want to see revival because you believe in this God, our God. There's a 
quote from Bill Johnson, and it says, you are God's idea, and he longs to see the treasure that is in your heart. As we learn to dream with God, we become co-laborers with him. Survival mentality has no place in the church because we were made to dream with God. We were made to ask him his ideas and to go after what he's doing. And he's raising up a people who will do this, who are going to take him at his word. And I want to say, St. Till, that that's going to be us, that we're the people who will take him at his word. We're the people that will say, God, I saw what you said, and I believe it, and I want whatever you have. And this isn't a message that's supposed to be like, hey, how'd you answer each question? If you don't believe, get out. You're in trouble. It's a, like these questions are questions I asked myself, and I was like, God, do I really believe it? There's not shame, but there's an invitation to life we were made for. When we get a picture of God, when we see who he is, we also see an invitation to, hey, this is how you were made to live, as partners with him. So the question that we ask ourselves isn't like, oh, do I believe? It's, okay, if I don't, God, do I want to align with this? Do I want to align with who you say that you are? And what will my life look like when I say yes to you? Say yes to him. We don't want lives of trying to keep our head above water. It is with those that choose to believe him that revival will spark and the desire to survive will fade. And if you're feeling like, oh, I don't fully believe, what do I do? There's a great story in Mark 9:24, and um, it's about they bring a demon-possessed boy, the disciples can't heal him, the father brings him to Jesus, and this, there's a quote um, from that passage that goes, Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It's often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him, but if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. I love Jesus' response here. He says, if I can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. And Jesus drove the spirit out. So what does that teach us about when we hear something about God, but we don't like quite believe, but we want to but we want to believe what he says, Jesus moves. Jesus reveals himself to a heart that says, this feels too good to be true, but I want to believe you. God, show me. He'll reveal himself to you. He will help you believe, and he'll respond to a person that hungers for the impossible, even if they're not sure if they're gonna see it, if they're people who ask for it, and say, ah, I want to believe this so bad, help my unbelief. He shows up. It's the people that will lay down any other knowledge that might say the opposite of what God says. People who will say, I'm so hungry for this. No matter what my experience has been, no matter what I've seen, Jesus, I want to see you. He's going to show up. So if that's you and you go through those passages and you hear about who God is and you say, I want to believe that, but I'm not sure. You're saying, I do believe God helped me overcome my unbelief and he will meet you there. Just ask him. Think like, and I think when that father saw his son healed, that he left with unwavering confidence in the power of Jesus. God is gonna reveal himself to you and give you an unwavering hope in who he is, an unwavering belief in that he does what he says he will do. Because when we take God at his word, he's gonna move in power. The next way that we can respond and work through is we just keep going back to the scriptures. God is revealing himself over and over and over again as we walk through our Bibles and we're getting the opportunity to see him and to say, okay, yes, God, I take you at your word. The gospels, we have the greatest revelation of what God is like in Jesus, God walking on the earth and we get to see what he's like, what he does, what he cares about. Go to your Bible and see revelation of who God is and say, yes, I agree. 
Because a life that trusts what God's word tells us, it's gonna be a radical life. And finally, we respond with the same thing that Psalm 113 responded with. Praise the Lord. It starts the psalm and it ends the psalm, right? We start by praising him for who he is. Declares all the attributes of God. We declare who he is with our praise. And you know what praise does? It turns our eyes off of ourselves, off of that survival mentality and turns us to looking at who he is. Turns us to looking and saying, God, you are this good. God, this is what you do. God, this is how you meet us. And praise is what is gonna sing that song of revival. It's gonna bring it in because it's a declaration of who he is and what he does. And those are the people we wanna be that declare that, that live under that truth that everything is possible for one who believes.